0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to the book of Galatians. It is hard to believe we are almost finished. Walking through this book, we'll close it up uh, next week. So find Galatians chapter 6. But I want to begin a little bit different this morning. I want to show you a little music video. But before I do, I need to lay some ground rules. Uh, this is an oldie but goodie. But some of you old timers may have a hard time staying in your seat. Um, so if you will, let's, I'll give you some clues. Go back all the way to 1958. It's a rock and roll song, and it's credited as the first rock and roll song about stardom in rock and roll by Chuck Berry. So if you've ever seen American Graffiti, or maybe Back to the Future, that's the one I've seen. So roll it, Clint. Is coming back to you? that's it so there it is so it's a song about this young man that grows up and he doesn't come from much he lives in a log cabin in the deep woods of south louisiana Um, he never really learned to read and write and he doesn't have much money because he has to carry his guitar around in a gunny sack but johnny was known for one thing johnny could play guitar and people would say, oh my, but that little country boy could play. And he was great at the guitar. And this song, it's actually about, you can actually listen to songs back then. There, there's no bad words and, you know, there's not any uh, kind of crazy themes to it. But it's all about people encouraging Johnny to do what he was created to do. I mean, Johnny was gifted to play guitar. And that's what they were saying. They said, go, Johnny, go, go, go. They were encouraging him to do really what was going to change his life. And so today, even greater, I want to do the same thing. I want us to encourage us to do something that we are all called to do. And listen, sometimes it's going to be easy, and sometimes it will be extremely painful. And I want to encourage us because I believe what we'll see from Paul today in Galatians 6 will change our lives and those around us. So Galatians chapter 6, uh, big idea, it's real simple, simple to say at least. It's called be doers of good. And here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to give us five ways, five things about how to do good. So let's pick up in chapter 6 verse 1. Here's the first thing he's going to say is do good by bringing the fallen home. This is how it reads. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you be too tempted. And so Paul's identifying something that everybody is in danger of. We are all in danger of being caught in a transgression or a sin. No one is immune to what Paul is saying. And he says the word, it says they're caught. Now, this doesn't mean that we're supposed to go on the watch and kind of be the, the spiritual watchdogs that are watching everybody else and trying to catch them in everything they might do wrong. Because let's be honest, that'd be a full time job. But we must, it says, because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are to look out for each other, especially someone that is caught, or it's a word that means overtaken by sin. In fact, it indicates a sinful behavior is a pattern, a particular sin has gotten the upper hand on your brother or your sister. Now, it could be someone, maybe it's they don't realize what they're doing. Man, I've known people like that. I, I, I've even been in that Say I was doing something. I was headed down a path, and I didn't realize the danger, or, or Paul will say the corruption that was going to come from this. Or maybe it could be somebody that is caught in something deep and dark, and they just have no idea how to escape. But he says as people that are caught That is our responsibility as their brother and sister is to do good, By bringing them home again. But notice who is supposed to. This command, this imperative is given to a certain person. It says, you who are spiritual. Now, this is really a direct reference back to last week. We talked about people that are living, being led by, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Those who are living by and led by the Spirit. But why why would Paul make that? Because isn't it supposed to be anyone? It's because restoration is only possible through the gospel. And the gospel is when a person, when a person has been forever changed by Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in them and they're producing the fruit of the Spirit because that's what it takes for a person to be brought back home again. It's going to take love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what it takes to restore and to bring a fallen person home. But then Paul wants to make sure we know how. It's by you who are spiritual. You are being led by the Spirit. But you have to do it in a spirit of gentleness. It must be done carefully and gently and lovingly. But I want us to notice Paul's last words in this and he says to keep watch watch over yourself lest you be tempted and there's so much more here in this phrase than it seems to be on the surface at first reading yes I would conclude that we must be careful if we're not careful we could try to help someone and we could end up getting just as ensnared in that sin as they are and yes I think Paul means that So I believe he's saying, be careful to make sure you don't fall into the trap. But there is more to it. Look back to last week, to the last two verses of chapter 25. Because really, it's riding along. He's not going to just completely break thought. This is how it reads. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, keep on walking. Let us not be Conceited, or to become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So a spiritual person is somebody that is trying to live according to the Holy Spirit. They need to be careful that they do not become conceited. Now I know that seems a little strange because I think we think of conceited in, in one kind of mindset. It's a person that thinks of themselves too greatly. And so, yes, he can mean, and I would phrase it this way, it's conceited superiority. And he says, you can't restore a person if that's who you are. Because if you see a person's caught in sin, if you have conceited superiority, you'll look down on them. You'll be glad that you're not like them. You will feel righteous in yourself. And we might confront them Only to look good in other people's eyes. But there is a whole other side to being conceited that we often don't think about. And it's the opposite of superiority, it's inferiority. So a conceited inferiority, this is what this person might be about. If we see a person caught in sin, we would actually never go to them because we're envious of the life they have, no matter how sinful. It is. We see them. We look at them. We look at how much fun they are having. Look at how great their life is compared to mine. And they are doing everything they want to do, and it just looks great. Or we may never go to that person because deep down we really, we want their approval. And if I was ever to do something that would cause them not to like me, So there's conceited superiority, but also inferiority. And he'll come back to this in a moment. But here's what Paul says. Our goal as brothers and sisters in this walk together, we are to watch over one another. Meaning, I need you to watch over my life. And you need others to watch over yours. So the first thing Paul says is do good by bringing the fallen home again. But then he's going to say, be good by bearing each other's burdens. Look at verse 2. Pretty plain and simple. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And here's the thing. All Christians, all Christians have burdens. And the mark of a mature believer is not the absence of burdens. And our burdens may differ in so many shapes and sizes. And they come in so many varied kinds depending on God's providential ordering of our lives. Burdens could be temptations, moral lapses in judgment, physical ailments, mental disorders, family crisis, lack of employment, financial hardships, spiritual warfare, and the list goes on and on and on. But here, hear me on this that there is no Wasted burden or suffering for God's children. No matter what you may have or, or will go through, God will use every millisecond of your pain to do something glorious. Because listen, listen to Romans 8:18. 8, for I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Meaning your burdens right now, I mean, they may be greater than you feel like you can handle. But God will not waste one ounce of your suffering. Your suffering will be nothing, he says, compared to the glory to come. These sufferings, these burdens, man, they are real and they are painful. So in the meantime, until that glory is revealed, God has a plan. And God has not designed us, nor does he intend for us to carry these burdens alone. So when the burdens are painful or maybe shameful, you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to isolate you. He wants you to be by yourselves. He will tell you no one cares. No one could possibly understand. And he will try to convince you that you can do it on your own. And then asking for help is a sign of weakness. So God desires for us to bear one another's burdens so that we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but we should seek out people. We should seek out others that we would say, I need help. And so I think the question is, man, do, do you have people in your life that you can be completely honest with? And we'd say that's why life groups are so. Important. You need to be around people that you can build a relationship with that you can get to that place, or men's or women's Bible studies. Find a community that you can be open and honest with you to say, Listen, I am drowning here. I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. And then he says, When we reach out, when you bear my burdens and you allow me to bear yours, it says you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But once again, what really will hinder this is that idea of being conceited. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he absolutely deceives himself. And so this is another way of saying, listen, you cannot bear each other's burdens if you Are conceited, because think of it. Think of conceited superiority in helping. We'll look at people and we'll think, "What's wrong with them?" And their problems. Man, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to what I have. Or, I'm just too busy to help others. You know, I don't want other people seeing me help them because of what they might think of me. And Paul says that's a conceited superiority. But it also helps to see it in us asking. Superiority say, listen, I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. I don't want to be seen as weak or needy like those people. And so we refuse to help, or we refuse to ask. But there's also the idea of conceited inferiority in asking. If You're helping someone, I'll help them because you know what, then they owe me. Or in asking for help and being conceited, but, but in an inferiority way. Man, I mean, I'm not worthy of anyone's help. I'm not good enough. I am so far beyond God's goodness. How can anyone ever want to help me? So Paul says that you must be humble enough to ask for help and humble enough to help others. And so here is what we can do. Look at verse 4. But let each one of us, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So the remedy for conceitedness, he says, you must test your actions. Meaning, don't compare yourself to others. But take a step back and honestly look at yourself. I believe I'm beyond God's grace and beyond His forgiveness or help? That's conceitedness. Do you find yourself being intolerant of others and their errors? It's conceitedness. So now look at verse 5 because this is interesting. Then he says, remember, bear one another's burdens, he says. But verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Didn't he just say, bear one another's burdens? And now, Paul, you're saying, I need to bear my own. And this is why words are so important. Because in verse 2, it's the idea of burden. It's the idea of carrying a weight that is too big for one person to carry. It's something that you need help with. It's a heavy weight. Then in verse 5, the word load is the closest thing to like a backpack. And meaning, we all have a different set of Of difficulties. We all have things that we have to carry. We are expected to bear ourselves. Paul says we must do that. And I think what Paul is saying is that we need to always make sure we're balancing. Is this something I need help with? Or is this something God is calling me to do on my own? Because I think it keeps us from being needy, keeps us from always being draining those around us. But we always have heavy burdens. And what we do not need is we do not need to do these on our own, and we don't need to be afraid to ask. So the second thing he says is do good by bearing each other's burdens. And then he's going to say do good by encouraging. Look at verse 6. Let each one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So it's describing this relationship with a teacher and and a student. And and really, times this is a proof text for kind of paying pastors. And listen, I'm so thankful for this verse. I really am. And I'll tell you, I am so thankful for Bethel. Bethel, you've always taken care of my family. But it is so much more than just a paycheck. I, I have people that care for my soul. They're checking up on me about my energy for the next week. They're making sure that that I'm I'm in a healthy place emotionally. But you know what? I'm not the only one around here that needs encouragement. And I I told Marla last night, I said, I finally found it. I I hate the word volunteer. I hate it, I hate it, hate it. Because it's not what we're doing here. So I like the word investor. We have so many investors that gathered this morning to teach your children in the nursery, the preschool, the elementary, the the middle school and high school, even into our adults. And right now, there are even some people that have chosen to go and invest upstairs in our preschool or in our nursery, and they are teaching our children. And we need to be thankful for all those investors. And we need to let them know it. We need to encourage them. And so I was saying, in June, we're about to promote. The challenge, make sure you know who your children's teachers are. Send them those notes of encouragement. Find a gift card just to say, thank you for investing in my family. Or better yet, invite them into your home. So Paul says, do good by encouraging. And then he's going to say, Be good by believing in the harvest. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. So once again, he urges the people, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Now, the first thing was, people were being deceived that you could actually earn God's approval. It was based on what you did. Your works are what God looked at. And he chose, okay, you're acceptable, but you need to keep working. Paul says, don't. Be fooled. Don't be deceived. But here, it's different. Paul is saying, don't be deceived by forgetting about the harvest. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that in a minute. The Judaizers, this is what they were saying. They wanted you to look at the here and now, and this is what matters. What your works, they matter. And your life now is what's important. But Paul's going to say, no, never stop believing in the harvest. Because look at what he says. Don't be deceived. And look at the next four words. God is not mocked. Mocked is that treatment with contempt or disapproval. Being mocked, it's a lot harder to define, but we all know it when we've seen it. You know, it's when you get that eye roll. You say, I will pick those eyes and roll them right back at you. Or it's that person that can kind of give you just that upper lip on the one side. That sarcastic tone, turning your nose up at someone. But really what it boils down to, it's a disbelief in what that person says. Your mama tells you, you know, to do something you don't want to do, and you kind of give her, the, it's because you don't believe her. But if he says, God is not mocked, meaning believe in what he says. And Paul says, God will not put up. With you turning your nose up or rolling your eyes in disbelief. He won't put up with it. But it's not because he's angry. It's because he loves you. But disbelief in what? Well, it's the harvest. Look at the the difficult truth of the harvest in the next half of seven into eight. For whoever sows, that is what he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, well, from his flesh... He will reap, but the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here's God's plan. You will reap what you sow. He's not talking about justification. But if you plant seeds by your flesh, he says you will reap corruption. And corruption is this gross word meaning a rotting corpse. Death. But if you plant by the Spirit, you will reap eternal life, eternal blessings. Meaning, if you live by your flesh, if you live selfishly, if you live only to gratify your own desires, if you allow pride and jealousy and envy and impurity, then you are sowing with your flesh and you will grow death. And you know what? God's placed this in really just the natural fabrics of life. You know what, you eat McDonald's for 30 days, you know what? Your body will suffer. If you neglect your spouse, your marriage, it's going to suffer. If you don't nurture your children, they will suffer. If you allow envy and jealousy to rule your heart in the relationships around you, you will find yourself alone and miserable. If you live by your flesh, you will turn around and only be surrounded by death. But there's also another harvest. If you sacrificially love your spouse, your marriage will flourish. If you unconditionally love your children, they'll grow. If you fight against and confess your envy and jealousy in your relationships, they will be stronger than you could ever imagine. But waiting for things to just get better will never work. We have to be, Paul says, proactive. We must go to our spouse and ask for forgiveness. We have to lead those children spiritually. We have to fight against the evils of envy and strife. We need to reach out for help and allow others to bear our burdens with us. So here's the danger. We can forget that our actions have long and lasting consequences and we get complacent. We can stop believing that things can change. We can stop believing in the truth that there will one day be a harvest. And if we're not careful, we will look around and be surrounded by a sea of death and loneliness and broken marriages and children that want to have nothing to do with us and no one we can trust. So I would ask us all, where in your life are you forgetting the harvest? Where do you need to step up and where is there any unconfessed sin? And so Paul says the best thing, the good thing to do is by good, be good by believing in the harvest. But then he gets to the last one. And I know for many of us, this right here is what we need to hear. Paul's going to say, do good by never giving up. Paul follows all this up by saying, "Listen, I know, I know it's hard. I know you're getting weary. I know some of you are weary today, or you've been in the past. You know, some of us are in relationships where it seems like you're the you're the only one trying. Some have been fighting an illness and they have prayed and prayed and nothing." Nothing seems to happen. We've had circumstances that have brought a huge amounts of discouragement. Some of us have children that have walked away from the Lord and nothing seems to make a difference in their lives. Some are sick and tired of going from job to job and barely making ends meet. And here's what Paul says, do good by never giving up. Look at the last two verses. And let, and let us not, let us not grow weary of doing good. He says, I know it's hard. I know you want to give up. For in due season, we will reap. And if we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Because let's be honest, it is hard, it's hard to continue to do the right thing each and every day for so many different reasons. You're trying to do good by following Christ, and you know people that are just doing what they want to do, and they seem happier and more fulfilled than you. You're trying to do good by your marriage, and you're getting nothing in return, and you're beginning to wonder, is it all worth it? Wouldn't it just be better if we went our separate ways? You're trying to do good at your career, and things are not just working out the way you had hoped. You're trying to do good by maintaining your integrity in so many places, but it's just getting harder and harder. So hear me on two things, if you can hear me. First, when you are weary that is when temptation will be at its greatest. Because that's where at the moment you're like, I don't care anymore. I just need an escape. So when you're weary and tired, that is when temptation will be at its greatest. Second, there will always be a delay between the sowing and the reaping. There's always delay. God has designed it that there will always be a delay in when you plant and when you harvest. Because if you do not give up, he says, there will be moments where something amazing happens. It is in the fight. It's in the fight that you discover that Christ actually becomes more precious to you than anything in this world could ever offer you. So here's what he says. Don't give up fighting for your marriage. Don't give up for fighting for that difficult child. Don't give up loving that unlovable person. Don't give up fighting for your integrity. Don't give up fighting against that temptation. Don't give up fighting that battle that goes on in your head that you are not worthy or good enough. Don't give up praying for that healing or that concern you have. And so he says, do good by never giving up. But I wish I could, but I can't. I can't promise you. That your spouse will ever come around. I can't promise you. That that child will turn back to the Lord. I can't promise you. That you'll be rid of that temptation. I can't promise you. That that battle in your head. Will go away. And I can't promise you. That healing will come in this life. But I can say. With all the confidence in heaven. That Christ will become more Precious to you. That through the pain. That through the struggle. That Christ loves to shine. And that is where you will see him become more valuable and precious to you than anything else. So here's what Paul says. Be doers of good. By bringing the fallen home. By bearing one another's burdens. By encouraging others. By believing in the harvest And be doers of good by never giving up. And it's through the struggles comes the greatest reality where you can say, you know what, it's in Christ alone that my hope, it is found. It is in Him that I realize now that He is all that I need. And so hear Paul this morning say, be doers of good.